Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hello and welcome to another episode of I Weigh with Jamila Jamil. You all right? I'm fine. I have been overwhelmed by the amount of wonderful, wonderful DMs and messages and comments from all of you about, in particular, last week's episode with Catherine Ryan. She is a fabulous comedian and writer and actress. And she was on the show talking to me about many things to do with feminism and, and surviving comedy as a woman. But also she came on and talked to me in depth about a miscarriage that she went through this year. And she was so, so open about vulnerable and informative about it. And it was really in the thousands and thousands of messages that I got from all of you that I realised how little that subject is spoken about. And I so appreciate your support. I also got a text from Catherine yesterday who told me that she has never had a response like that from a podcast where all of the listeners reach out to her to send her lovely, uh, lovely messages of support and thanks. And she told me what a wonderful and kind audience I had. And that made me feel really, really good. And I, I fucking love that about you. The fact that every time there is an episode that moves you, you guys kind of swarm my guest with support and love and and real connection. And it means the world to me. They always comment on it, that it's unlike any other podcast experience they have. And it makes me just feel as though I'm really with my people when we are having these conversations and learning about all of this very difficult and nuanced and often quite stigmatised stuff together. So thank you for that. It makes me feel all warm and fuzzy and and just excited to keep bringing you more of these conversations that we also desperately need. Um, today, we are covering a very different subject. I am interviewing uh, my stylist, who is also, and way more importantly, Celine Dion's stylist. And then even more importantly... He is Zendaya's stylist, the ultimate style icon of our generation, maybe of any generation. Maybe there will never, ever be another icon to come who can match Zendaya. And so after seeing all of her iconic looks and all of Celine's looks, I I slid into his DMs as, uh, as I do many of the guests I have on this show. And I begged him to try styling me. And it's been a year and we've fallen madly in love and we're best friends and we are colleagues now. We both uh, judge on the ballroom show Legendary on HBO Max. And the reason I wanted Law to come on here not is not just because I love him, but also because I think he has such an important and inspiring story. He grew up with no money in the rougher part of Chicago as a young gay black man in America during a time where all of the things that we're seeing in the news were happening, but they were just going on unreported. And so he's been through so much. 
and he has worked and crafted and innovated his way to a point where he's gone from that young kid who was broke having to sometimes admittedly steal fashion in order to wear things that made him look nice to now being one of the world's, if not the world's, most respected and loved and iconic stylist. He is on every single big list. He is on the speed dial of every big superstar in the world. Everyone longs to be styled by law because, not just because law has a great eye, but also because he is such an extraordinary man with such an extraordinary vision. He has so much ambition and he's a kind friend. He practices tough love, I can tell you that from experience, but he's so empowering to women. He loves women in a way that I've never heard a man in this industry talk about. The way he respects our form and the way that he finds us to be so fun. He loves our bodies, he loves our hair, our makeup, all of it. And so I think that he has such an interesting perspective when it comes to racism within the fashion industry, which, as we all learned this year uh, or were made more aware of, is unbelievably, you know, whitewashed and very, very kind of elitist and nepotistic. Um, he has somehow managed to break through that and he's bringing everyone with him. He is not closing the doors behind him. He is focusing so much on making sure that he makes space rather than just takes space. So you're going to love his story you are going to love him. He is a very, very sassy man. He takes no shit. He does not mince his words. And he is truly an inspiration to us all and gave me such an interesting insight into his journey and what the industry currently is like and where we need to go. And so I hope you enjoy this. This is the absolutely iconic Law Roach. Bloody hell, I've only gone and gotten the best stylist on earth on this show. Welcome to I Weigh, Mr. Law Roach. How are you? I am well. Thank you for having me. I'm so thrilled you're here. I Okay, so this is how I know you, which is that I have mm -hmm. been studying Zendaya's style for a really long time. And then I started studying mm -hmm. Celine Dion's style for a really long time, realising mm -hmm. they are both styled by you. And you are just so iconic and inimitable and your choices are so left field. And you are, you dress women to make the absolute most of them. And you celebrate the female form. And so I slid into your DMs like a little creep and I begged you <laughs> to take a chance on me. And you said yes. And so for almost a year now, you've been styling me. We've been working yeah. together. We've become colleagues. We've become friends. We're now co-hosts, I guess, and colleagues on Legendary, a new show about ballroom yes. and HBO Max. And you have become, whether you like it or not, one of the true loves of my life. And I know, <laughs> which, which scares me, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm so petrified when people care about me. It's, it's so hard for me. And you have been very assertive with your love for me. <laughs> and although I appreciate it so very much, I am a bit nervous. <laughs> oh, well, my love is forever. So you're just going to have to deal yeah. with it. It's permanent. I, I, I'll deal with it. Yes. Yes. Oh my goodness, you have had such a wild ride over the last decade and I kind of just want to take mm -hmm. it back to the beginning before we get to where you are now, which is a world-class mm -hmm. stylist, truly one of the most famous and celebrated stylists in the world. Um, mm -hmm. Talk me through what you were like 
as a child? Were you always interested in fashion and style? Yeah, I think um, I always say when I write my book, the first sentence would be I was birthed from a whimsical womb, um, <laughs> which isn't the truth, but it just sounds like, <laughs> you know, I came out. <laughs> I, I feel like ever since I was a little boy, I always remember being attracted to to fashion and to style. You know, for, for Black people in America, I think our first encounter with fashion is church. Um, so I remember my grandmother's getting ready for church on Sundays and their whole practice of, you know, bathing and doing their nails and putting curlers in their hair and picking out the outfit and the hosiery and the bag had to match the shoes. And, <laughs> um, and I learned at a very young age how being a woman is an art form. And, um, it was an art form that I thought was, um, was incredible. And I wanted to be a part of it some type of way. Um, and that just started out with, you know, picking out my grandma's dress every now and again and did with my friends. And yeah, so I've always been this person. It just took me a while to, to learn how to get paid to do it, but I've been doing it my entire life. And so you grew up in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And what was that upbringing like? I I know that you don't come from extreme privilege. Mm-hmm. And so you tell me how you got from Chicago to where you're at now, living in Los Angeles, styling yeah. all the biggest stars in the world. Yeah, well, whew, um, yeah, I came from shit. I really came from absolutely nothing. You know, I've um, I always had big dreams and I've always had the, the ability to see myself in different places. But yeah, I came, I came from absolutely nothing. Um, my mom told me when I was like, you know, eight or nine years old, she's like, listen, motherfucker, if you don't work, you don't eat. You know what I mean? So she ingrained this kind of sense of hustle in me while I always had to kind of fend for myself and figure out where my next meal was or my, my next pair of shoes were coming from. And, and then I had to carry that same kind of mentality into like raising my brothers and sisters. You know, my mom, um, rest her soul, had a, a huge problem with addiction um, my entire life. And so when you grow up in, in those type of environments, um, it, it, it makes you a different type of kid. Right. And it, it makes you a different type of person. Um, but, yeah, so I dealt with that. And, you know, and it's just. But she also, she also, I also learned a lot of things from her. She was also very charming. You know, my mother was the type of person that could go into a, a supermarket with no money and walk out with an entire basket of groceries. You know what I mean? She just had this, she had this thing where, where people, uh, people just liked her for a certain reason. And I think that's one of the traits either learned or inherited that I got from her. Um, so yes, yeah, although she taught me a lot of bad things, like, um, <laughs> this is gonna sound so bad, but it's the truth. She told me like, if you're in the store and it, it, it doesn't have a price tag on it, that means it's free. So just take it. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, I mean, she taught me a lot of good shit and a lot of bad shit. You know what I mean? Like, not taking you I to any that, art galleries. <laughs> no, right. She's like, there's no price tag. So it's, it's free. So I thought that was the truth for a number of years until, you know, somebody grabbed me and said, what are you doing with that candy bar? You know what I mean? So. Um, so yeah, it's just, I just grew up a different type of way. I grew up nowhere near the type of life that I'm living now. God. And so, you know, your sexuality, how would you define yourself? I'm not going to define you for you. 
I define myself as a strong black woman. Yes, a strong black woman. <laughs> and so as a strong black woman who has feminine ways about you, typically traditionally feminine ways about you, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what was it like growing up as a young black man who isn't mm-hmm. as traditionally quote unquote masculine as maybe mm-hmm. young black mm-hmm. men are expected to be, especially mm-hmm. in Chicago, especially in the roughest areas of Chicago? What was that experience like for you? You, you know what? It was, it was similar to a lot of people's experience growing up in the black community being gay, but I also had, I also was always really, really popular. And I also always had really hyper masculine best friends, right? It was, my dynamic was, was really, was really weird. I think and different that I was, when I was coming up, unfortunately there wasn't, uh, a relaxed attitude about homosexuality as, as relaxed as it is now. I'm mm-hmm. not saying that, that it's, that the world is exactly where it should be, but coming at the time I was growing up and I was always like this, I always had a really strong feminine energy. Right. Um, but I also had people who would call me a fag, but also call me a fag in a loving way. So it was like this weird dynamic. They'd be like, oh, that's my fag friend. You better not fuck with him. You know what I mean? So it was like, okay. should I be, should I be offended or should I be like happy that you're protected? A protected me? token, so was, basically. Right, exactly. Yeah. It was like, so I've always, I always had the same energy. I always dressed really nice. I was always outspoken and fun. So like all my friends were like drug dealers and like some of my friends like went to jail for murder and stuff like that. So I always felt protected and I always felt protected enough that I could always be myself. Like I've always spoke, spoken this way. I've always had these mannerisms and, um, but I know I'm different and I'm not saying, um, I, I, everybody should have had that experience where they should be able to be themselves. And I know everybody doesn't, but my truth is that I didn't have that hard of a time growing up gay in the middle of the hood in South side of Chicago. That's unbelievable. And it's amazing. And I'm really glad. And also knowing you, I can see that sense of self-acceptance that lives so strongly in you. As soon as you walk into a room, I mean, A, everything gravitates towards you, but that's because you have, you are the kind of centre of gravity in any room because Mm. of that sturdiness. And I think that really shows. So I'm really, really relieved to hear that. And that's something that you and I have never really spoken about personally. So then, I mean, how are you affording all of these cool clothes? You were just working in retail or... No, I never had a job either. What? <laughs> oh, I think this 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 interview is going to go into some places. <laughs> I can tell. Um, well, to be honest, um, I've always been a hustler. Like, I had a best friend who did hair in her grandmother's basement, so I taught myself how to do nails. You know, so it was always trying to figure out a way to make money and and to hustle. You know, and I did a lot of things. I. I used, I tell this story. Well, I just started telling this story because it came full circle. Like I used to steal, like I used to shoplift and I told Tommy Hilfiger, um, that for me to, to play a part of that collaboration with him and Zendaya, for me to walk out shoulder to shoulder with them to, you know, the final walk of that show meant so much because I used to go and steal those clothes, you know? So we used to steal those clothes. We used to, you know, write bad checks. We used to do anything we had to, to get those fashion. Um, yeah. So it was just, it was that, it was like, you know, 
had a couple drug dealer friends that used to, you know, look out for a girl, you know, so. Uh, <laughs> okay. It was, well, a, it was a lot, yeah. <laughs> so eventually, I believe you found a vintage store that you started working mm-hmm. in later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell me about um, that. What were you doing? Again, an, another hustle. Um, I started to go thrift shopping. I learned thrift shopping from my grandmother um, and then I revisited it years later and I did it out of necessity because you know at some point those doing the, the bad things to get clothes weren't wasn't acceptable anymore you know I had outgrown that and um I used to thrift shop out of necessity I was just going find cool stuff and then I started collecting you know vintage handbags and dresses and I just started collecting them and then I start selling them out of the trunk of my car um and it was it was so funny because I told it was a bag. Tracy Ellis Ross on Girlfriends used to wear these like elongated clutch bags. Yeah. And I found, I found, um, I found a few of those and, um, and I showed a couple of my girlfriends and they was like, Oh my God, that's the Joan Clayton clutch. Um, so it kind of, it kind of sparked a business for me. And then selling from the trunk of my car, I started doing trunk shows and hotel rooms. And then I opened up a store. So it was just, you know, it's this overarching idea of, you know, you got to work to eat. And you make your own dreams come true. So then how did you get to yeah. Los Angeles and how did you find a very young Zendaya? Um, I had a, a client um, who was best friends from my store in Chicago, who was best friends with Zendaya's father. Mm-hmm. Um, and she introduced us. She flew me out to L.A. She just wanted me to bring a whole bunch of clothes so we could just have a fitting and a little vintage party. And that day I met Zendaya and she walked in and we kind of like were goo-goo eyes over each other. And she was going to Justin Bieber's Never Say Never movie premiere. Yeah. And she was going to the mall to buy something to wear. And <clears throat> um, our friend, her name is Chastity. And Chastity was like, you should take Law. He's a stylist. You know, he can help you. And Literally, we went to the mall and and we like branched off and we left them. And when we got back, her dad scolded her. It's like, you don't run off with this man. You don't even know him. And um, but we went and we found her a look. And that was my first time, you know, dressing Zendaya for a red carpet. Oh, my goodness. How old was she back then? She was 13 going on 14. Wow. That's around the first time mm-hmm. I ever met her because I, I did her first ever UK interview because I used to be an interviewer back in the United Kingdom. Unfortunately, I never got to meet you all the way back then. And how fast was it before people started to really notice Zendaya's looks? Because I feel like it's been a decade of just her owning any red carpet she stands on. Yeah, it took a minute. Um, it took a minute. There was a lot of no's. Like people didn't want to dress her Um and I just, I didn't understand it. And then when I started to understood, understand it, I understood that it's a game of press, right? The designers want to give the dress to the girl who gets the most press. Mm-hmm. So I had to figure out a way to make her that girl, to make her the girl that people would talk about in the press. And what I did was I started to only put her in clothes that people had worn already. Um, Cause you know, a few years later, you can remember like the weeklies, like, us weekly and who they wore all it had the who, who wore it better. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, okay, so I'm only going to put her in dresses that women have wore already. And then she'll get pressed because they'll put who wore it better. And she's tall and gorgeous and young. I was like, 
Well, we already know who's going to wear it better. So she would, you know, ninety <laughs> percent of the time win the who wore it better, and so people started to pay attention. And I think our career changed when she finally made it to uh, Fashion Police when John Rivers was still around, and John Rivers ranted and raved. And after that, the phone started ringing. It was like all these designers wanted to dress her, and you know, wanted to lend clothes, and we end up getting a. a uh, invitation to the first to our first Met Gala um, right after that. So, yeah, just a little sneaky things that that nobody told me. I just kind of figured out on my own that worked. You just found a supermodel teenager who you had amazing chemistry with, and you, what an interesting strategy! I think that goes mm-hmm. that that charts back throughout your entire life of just figuring out a way around or a shortcut. And it's such a smart, innovative idea. And so then Zendaya goes on to become, I'd say, probably the biggest style icon of our generation. And that's fully in collaboration with the two of you. And she trusts you so much and you love each other so much. And you have such a special bond. And you've now gone on to, as you mentioned earlier, design these clothing lines for Tommy Hilfiger which were the coolest clothes I've seen come out of that brand ever. So well done. Thank you. Um, I love Thank I you. love a polka dot. And uh, <laughs> and then Celine Dion does a me and she slides into your DMs. Is that correct? Well, Celine, actually, no. Celine had her people find okay, me fine, and call me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the only scumbag. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know if Celine knows how to DM, but yeah, she... <laughs> I got a call and I got a call from her team um, a few years ago and they and they said that, um, you know, Celine wants to meet you. I was like, Celine who? And they were like, Celine Dion. I was like, why? <laughs> why, does, why does Celine Dion want to meet me? Um, but yeah, they invited me to Vegas. I went to one of her shows. Um, I met her at a show and then... They invited me and there was the Billboard Awards and um, they invited me to to wait for her after after her performance and to talk. So we sat in a room and it was so cute because I was she was in a room and she was sitting on a, a sofa in her dressing room. And I walked in and she said, um, you want to have a seat? I'm like, sure. And <laughs> she was she was like, you want to sit right here? I was like next to you. And she was like, do you want to sit next to me? I was like. Yeah, I want to sit next to you. <laughs> and so, I mean, because, you know, it, this, this is Celine Dion, right? You know, yeah. the ultimate pop star. And we sat for two hours and we just talked about style. And um, I told her that I understood what brand she wore and the way she did things that I wanted to, if I got the opportunity to show her some different brands and <clears throat> some other things I thought could be cool for her. And just kind of like, you know, just just show her a different um a different face of fashion you know and um that happened and then you know she gave me a hug and she she touched me and I couldn't breathe and um <laughs> the next morning they called and it was like Celine's going on tour in Paris and she wants to know if you can come to Paris for 2 months and do her street style shit and i was like sure so you and just i went to paris and left yeah yeah was this your, was this one of your first times going, or had you been before with? No, I've been to Paris okay, before. Yeah, yeah. Um, Just your first time going with uh, icon Celine Dion. Yeah, and and for a two month job, you know. And so when I got there, 
we did a couple things and we started to make, you know, make some news. And then they said, Oh, well, she wants you to do a um, couple of costumes for the, for the tour. So I, I uh, went in and designed a couple of costumes for the tour. Um, and yeah, and I was, and that two months turned into almost three years. Damn. It, can you tell me the exact moment that everyone became re-obsessed with Celine Dion? Because we'd kind of, she was still existing and continuing mm-hmm. on to be everyone's love in Vegas, but it had been mm-hmm. fucking like 20 years since she was in mainstream headlines. Tell me yeah. about that t-shirt. <laughs> well, I think, I think what it was is that for me in my career, I've always been kind of known as a disruptor, right? I've always done things yeah. um, against the grain. And so when I got to know Celine, um, she's so funny. Um, she's so funny and she's so, she's batshit crazy in the best and most beautiful way possible. What do you mean? Like, she is like, every, it's all joy. Like, everything is joy. Everything is love, you know, and she loves clothes. She's never, she doesn't drink. She's never done drugs. She doesn't, you know, party like, she's never done anything. So her, so the clothes and the fashion is her only vice and she loves it and she appreciates it and she studies it. And I don't think that anybody who, who worked with her previously had ever just let her fully be herself. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, one of the things that, like you mentioned, what I do is I try to really figure out who my client is and I try to style from the inside out. Right. Mm-hmm. I try to make you only the most elevated version of you. And so when I start to figure that out, I'm like, oh, okay, Celine Dion is jeans and a t-shirt one day, but the second, the next day she's in a full couture, Jean-Baptiste Valley. And then the day after that, she's, you know, and so there was no limit with her and there was no fear. Um, and so when I figured that out, I was like, okay, let's do this. And, and I think the, the look that really captured the world's attention is the, is the Vetmont sweatshirt, the Titanic sweatshirt. And I thought it was corny. I'm like, shit, is she going to think this is corny? I think it's so cool. And then I showed it to her. She's like, no, it's not corny. I love it. I want to wear it today. But it was kind of homage to, that was right around, it was almost the 20th anniversary of Titanic. And um, at that time, Vetmont was also a new kind of streetwear brand that only like cool street kids were wearing. And to put this woman who is quintessentially the queen of sequins and sparkle and Vegas to put her in this in this look from this brand that is so underground, it just didn't make sense for people. And it was like people's brains got scrambled, like, oh shit, what's happening? What's going on? And I think that's what what created such a stir. And then after that it was like paparazzi central. Yeah, you're the master of a viral moment. Oh, thank you. No, I really, honestly, that was one of the moments that I really t- like paid attention to you. And I've wanted to work with you for years. It just took me so long to get up the courage just to ask you. Yeah. And I was too afraid. But I you know, let- things happen when they, things happen when they're supposed to. We, we were put in life, each other's lives exactly when it was supposed to happen, I believe. I literally waited until I got a Vogue cover and then I was like, now maybe he'll <laughs> style me and I DM'd you as soon as it came out so that you would see it on my Instagram. <laughs> it felt like... Like, I've never asked anyone out before, but that felt like the first time I'd ever asked someone to, to She's be calculated. With me. She's yeah. calculated. That's why we work so well together. <laughs> it was the most yes. recent post on my Instagram because I wanted you to look at it. Um, so, yeah, I was very strategic with that. What is it that you love so much about styling? Why do you love I this? I don't know. If, I, you know, I think I don't think I love this. I think I love women. 
You know, yeah. I think I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed in women, not in a way where I want to be one and not in a way where I want to fuck one, but it's still an obsession. And I think... What is it about women that you're so obsessed with? I just think it's a movie. I think women are a fucking movie, right? Every... The things that women do just... First of all, the things that women have to go through and they survive, right? Mm -hmm. And not only do they survive, but they thrive. And then the things that they do just... Like... The hair, the makeup, the nails, the lashes, the, you know, that, the, the swivel in the walk. It's just like, I don't know. It's just something about, I think, I don't know. I just think women are the most beautiful creatures on, on the planet. Mm. And I feel like women are supposed to be cherished and protected and worshiped. And, and what I do is part of the worship from me to them. I love that. And also your I the one of the reasons that I love working with you so much is that you know I I've never properly worked with a stylist before because I used to get fat shamed by stylists on photo shoots because I couldn't fit into a size zero and I'm five foot ten and I'm not naturally super skinny. Um, mm -hmm. And so that made me afraid of having to go through regular fittings with someone. And so for 10 years mm -hmm. of my career, I didn't work with anyone um, out of fear of that moment. Instead, I would just buy everything I would wear on any red carpet. I would go out and I would buy it by myself. And yeah. working with you was such a relief. I didn't know what you were going to be like because you worked with these two unbelievably thin <laughs> women, Zendaya mm -hmm. and Celine Dion. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know how that was going to go. And you were just like, there is, there is no such thing as sample size. You are sample size. We're going we're gonna to make the sample fit you. And that's the first time yeah. since 2009 that anyone has ever said that to me, that I reserved the right for clothes to be made to fit me rather than me change my entire life, risk my mental health and my physical health to fit the sample. And so thank yeah. you for that. Thank you for taking an unbelievably expensive sequin gown, <laughs> I won't name the designer, and getting them to basically double it in order for me to be able to wear it on a red carpet. Thank you for yeah. celebrating my body and the curves that I have felt self-conscious about. You have taught me to embrace and love and celebrate and make the most of it. You've made me feel so lucky to be a woman and so lucky to look like a woman. And that is something that means a lot to me. And I don't think many people in the world ever get to feel that way, but especially not people in my business and people in my position. We're normally shamed. And thank you for celebrating us and for loving us so much. Even though, oh, sometimes, <laughs> even though sometimes you are a very straight talker and you scare me. <laughs> I can't always feel the love in the moment. <laughs> Tough I, love. I, yeah, the fucking toughest love. <laughs> but it's love. It's the only way I, I know. know. I know how to love hard. I know. But yeah, it's like I didn't grow up around. I didn't grow up around size zeros. I didn't grow up around size twos. My appreciation for a woman's body wasn't shaped and molded in a size zero. Mm -hmm. You know, like you know where I grew up at. The woman, the girls in the neighborhood that all the boys wanted had big tits and you know hips and ass. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's like that's what that's what a woman looked like to me. You know what I mean? So um, and and those are the women that I saw dress themselves. You know, so it was like a, a body. A, you know, a, yeah. I mean, a zero two. Yeah. I mean, they slide. It's great. You know what I mean? But for me. And and speaking of Celine Dion, they are just naturally, that is just their natural bodies. You yeah. know what I mean? They are just naturally thin that way, which is great. And which is, that's beautiful too. But I grew up around six, 
eight, 10, 12, you know what I mean? Like I grew up around big hips, big butt, huge boobs. And that's, that's what I always thought was beautiful. And I thought, and that, that dressed in that body type was just natural for me. The other body types is what I had to learn. Yeah. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now listen, we all carry around different stresses, big, small, medium size, and a lot of us keep them bottled up because sometimes we just have to. But doing that all of the time can really, really start to negatively impact your life. And I say that from experience. I'm British. We are told to never say how we're feeling about anything ever. And uh, that's why so many of us are so sad. Now, a way that I was able to remedy that was by having therapy, which was super helpful for me, not only because it's amazing to get things off your chest, but also all week, you know, as you're bottling things up, because it's not always the time or place to say exactly how you feel, you know you're going to get that hour where you're able to get everything off your chest and say it exactly as you want to. And this therapist isn't going to take it personally and they're not going to hold it against you or throw it back in your face during an argument over dinner next week. You just have this complete freedom. Honestly, I think everyone should have therapy, regardless of whether they think they need it, because it's so amazing to have a confidant. It's a journal that talks back to you and helps you with all of your problems. I think therapy is just a safe space to get everything off your chest to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, then maybe you should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be super convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and then you can switch therapists if you don't like them anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash iWay today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iWay. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Let's talk about what it's like to be one of the only black stylists at the top of your game. Mm -hmm. Why are there so few when there are so many talented young black designers who, again, aren't given the praise that their white counterparts are? What's your experience yeah. been like when it comes to being a black man in fashion? Well, I, I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna answer that question in two folds, right? I'm gonna I'm gonna answer the question directly based on my experience, and then based on my experiences while while I'm here, right? Okay. So I can't say that I had such a tough time getting to where I am because. I didn't follow the normal trajectory of how people get here, right? Assistant. So normally, then, yeah. right, intern, assistant, then you, you know, you, you'll intern for years, you assist for years, and then at some point you go out and get your own clients. I kind of bypassed all that. So I bypassed a lot of the no's. I, I 
skip the hurdles, you know? Um, but that being said, a lot of people who look like me aren't going to have that situation just kind of fall into their lap to, to let them be able to do that, you know? And the reason that there aren't a lot of black people at the top of this industry is because the intern and the assistant, first of all, it's hard to be an intern, meaning that you can, you have to work for free, right? Mm -hmm. It's easy for you to be an intern and work for free. If you come from a family who can afford to send you to LA or New York to work with a law roach or work with whoever else, and you don't have to worry about how you're going to eat, how you're going to get there, where you're going to sleep. So you get to focus all your energy into that internship. You get to maximize that experience as opposed to a black, someone who's black, the same internship. And I'm saying it's that experience because I've had both work for me and my company where the black girl, she comes from Georgia. She has to come. She has to get a, she has to intern for me at the day, at day during the day. She has to work a night job at night. And then she has to work on the weekends to be able to afford her car or her transportation, food, clothes, and shelter. So she can't get the same exact experience and benefits from the experience as her white counterparts because she simply can't afford to. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that, that creates a discrepancy in the pool of, of, of the people that's trying to become us. And I think the second part is that the the women that's in and the people that's in the positions of power and privilege don't give opportunities to people who don't look like them. And I mean, that is just, it is it's simply that. A couple of years ago, well, maybe not even a couple of years ago, I started using a hashtag more than one. And so what that meant that I would use any power that I had to make sure that I was not the only one in the room. It always has to be more than one. Mm-hmm. And um, and not only it has to be more than one, I have to be, as a person, as a human, I have to be okay with not being the only one. Because I think the generation before us, you know, if you were the... You were, you know, like, oh, I was the only black person there. Or I, I'm the only blurry mm-hmm. black person at this company. Or I'm the only black person in the decision making. And I was like, and that is, that shit is so old and so like played out to me and like so 90s. Like it's, it, me helping someone who looked like me get to the same place, make as much money, have as much, as many successes as I have does not take anything from me and it doesn't cost me anything. Mm-hmm. So now that I have a, a position of power, like there's certain things that I won't do if, you know, if there's not, if there's not more than one in the room, I just won't do it. I'm not okay with that. You're not okay with working with any working anywhere where you are the sole minority in that no. space. And I hate saying this, but we just have to say it because it's true. If you think about stylists, um, at a certain level, it's always this, if you use the Hollywood Reporter list as a, as a kind of gauge, right? Mm-hmm. So it's the 25 most powerful stylists they every year. And you see that list every single year. It's always 20, 21 to 23 white women. And mm-hmm. then it's three people of color. And it has been year after year after year after year. And it, and it's like, so what happens is, the, the new people that enter on the list, they have assisted one of the women that were already on the list. So it becomes this, this system, this systemic, um, kind of cycle of 
people ushering in exactly mm-hmm. the same yeah, people nepotism. who look like them. Yeah, correct. And and I also feel like you and I don't I don't I can't say if this is down to your race, but I feel like people mm. don't always give you the full credit that you deserve. I mean, anyone who's watching the decisions that you make, watching the way that you style, the way you work with clients, mm-hmm. understands how great you are. But I feel like sometimes when you are written about until really the last year or so, people have definitely undermined what makes you a powerful stylist. What was that? There was there was some there was some list where they had named all of the white women who were stylists um, who were successful, and they'd said that oh, it's because of this and this element of style oh. and this, that, and the other. And then they got to you, and they were just like, "What did they say that he has the most Instagram followers?" Instagram followers, yeah, yeah, it can, <laughs> yeah, they. <laughs> that shit that shit still bothers me to this day because it's like I'm not surprised it's it's, it's a, it cuz I don't feel like that's accident I feel like that's on purpose that they would diminish me all my conversation they they negated the fact that you know I I played a hand in one of my clients becoming a face of Givenchy yeah I had so I had a Givenchy campaign I had a Tommy Hilfiger campaign I had a Lancome campaign I I've, I've done campaigns that no other black stylist, um, and somebody correct me if I'm wrong, had ever done before. You know what I mean? Like not, all these things I had done. And so when they said the reason why I matter is because I had the most Instagram followers. They didn't think about how you got those Instagram followers. You got those Instagram followers because people became obsessed with your style. A lot of us didn't know anything yeah. about your personality. I didn't. Yeah. I, I just knew you for the things yeah. that, for the way that you would transform someone. You are transformative. Yeah. And I think that's part of your challenge. Like you take a Disney star like Zendaya, who, I mean, now we look at her and she's like euphoria. She's the coolest girl in the entire world. But I remember her. She was just a little Disney baby. She yeah. was so like polished yeah. and clean and yeah. girl next door. We would yeah. never have seen her in these, these looks that we, we now know her to own on the red carpet. Same thing with like a, not at all washed up, but a, a no longer mainstream pop culture relevant pop star like Celine Dion who was in her late 40s or early 50s you mm-hmm. reinvented her to the point where she now goes and she owns the Met Gala again yeah and you know you're you she you've, had never even been to the Met Gala she had, I I was responsible for getting her her first invite to the Met Gala like I literally called Versace and I said this woman has spent millions and millions of dollars with you and if you don't invite her to the Met she will no longer, no longer buy anything from you. She didn't tell me to do that. I did that because out of because I felt like she was being disrespected. Mm-hmm. This woman keeps fashion fashion business alive. The amount of money she spends on clothes, and I didn't think she was being respected for that. And you know, I think for me, a lot of times I'm overlooked because I don't have any proximity to, to whiteness at all. You know, I don't present in a way. I don't speak in a certain type of way. I don't code switch like I'm not a white woman on the phone you know <laughs> with certain people and then you know a, a black woman on the phone with other people like I am authentically who I am and this is the way I talk I'm from the fucking hood and I am still hood you know what I mean so mm-hmm. I think that some people although some people love that that authentic part of me some people don't aren't comfortable with that so me not having a close proximity to whiteness is why I think that people always try to downplay my successes. Mm-hmm. I also love what a petty bitch you can be, which is I remember oh. hearing one of the things I heard about you that made me love you so much before we'd met is that someone said, and you can correct me if this is not true, but someone said that all the people who refuse to dress Zendaya, like a young, unknown, black, 
Disney star, the people who wouldn't dress her then, now with the world clamouring to dress her, you've remembered, you took names down and you mm-hmm. will not let those mm-hmm. people dress her now because they didn't mm-hmm. back her from the beginning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that. I did. I did. And, you know, and it wasn't so much that they was that they would say no, it would be the way that they would say no. Mm-hmm. You know, like, oh, she's not on our radar or maybe next season. And it was just, it was the same thing. So what happened was, I would, when somebody would call, would come and say, Oh, we would love to dress her for this particular occasion. I would go back to the email that they said no. And I would reply from that email <laughs> and say, No, not this season. Or we totally, you know, we, we already have the designers. So we're going to work with this season, maybe next season. And you know, <laughs> and the thing about that, that, I have to say this, the thing about that, that and me doing that is that Zendaya allows me to have that power. It is nothing I'm doing. I don't do anything. I don't make any decisions without her knowing it. You know, she is very well educated on who has always supported her. Mm -hmm. And 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 she lets me make decisions from that. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Talk to me about this new moment that we are entering into post the murder of George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery. We have seen uh, an uprising of black voices and and the movement for black lives. And we are not just seeing that when it comes to police brutality. It feels as though over the last couple of months, while I'm not saying that anything has is finished or has been achieved yet, it feels as though it's become a more widespread conversation and it feels like it has bled into to different corporations, into different companies, different individuals have been called out for their racism or their lack of inclusion. And the fashion industry has been massively called out where we're even seeing mm-hmm. uh, the handful of some black designers, even their employees are predominantly white. Not because they've chosen that, but as you said, it's easier for white people to get into an industry that doesn't pay very well for a very long time because they have parental yeah. support. So... Do you think that this is going to change? Because the fashion industry needs to change. As you said, by 2020, you can't still be the only one in a room unless you yourself have hired someone. What do you think needs to change? How do we change the fashion industry? Um, You know what? I try to be as optimistic as possible, Mm -hmm. but if you you pay attention, just the way um, things are kind of trickled back, basically to the way they were before. Like we heard, we saw all the support, you know, everybody, every, every email that I got at the end of the email, like we support Black Lives Matter. And, mm-hmm. and I just think that it's become a huge, um, overgrown publicity stunt in a, in a way, right. It's good PR to say that, that you believe Black Lives Matter. And, um, 
And it kind of, to me, I think people are just saying that to just keep, keep everybody off their backs. Mm-hmm. Um, Super performative. I think that, yeah. I definitely think that, that, that you have to remember at the Insta Awards in my speech, when I just said, if you are a person of power or privilege, just give your opportunity to someone who does not look like you. And if you have the opportunity to give a person of color a position of power, what that would do is that will, first of all, have someone, someone close to you that can give you a different perspective. And then that perspective and those needs and wants would trickle down all the way from boardroom to factory worker, in my opinion. And it enriches um, and broadens the horizon of what that product or that company or that individual can yes. be. Yeah, it's all different experiences because we don't, it's, it's just like, it's so, it's just, it's just stupid to me to, for people to have companies that don't look like what the world look like. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, how can you have a board that is all white men servicing a global economy, a global whatever, and Nobody looks like the rest of the people on the, in the, on the globe. It just, some shit just doesn't make sense anymore. Yeah. And it's proving to not be successful. The people who are now going to thrive are the ones who are inclusive with the times representative of the cosmopolitan world in which we live. Yeah. Yeah. And people are hungry for that. I always tell the story. It's like, for me as a stylist, like I wanted Rachel, when I saw Rachel Zoe's project, right. She had the career I wanted. She was going to Paris Fashion Week. She was in Milan. She was talking to Giorgio Armani and she was doing all these fabulous things. And when I came to Hollywood, like I thought I had to be Rachel Zoe. I didn't see any other, it was nobody else. So I thought that I had to speak like her. I thought I had to use her her slang. Like I thought I had to be like, oh my God, it's bananas. Like I thought I had to <laughs> present as this 40 year old, 125 pound white woman. And I really tried to do that for like a week. Like I was doing, I was like, I would be on the phone like, oh my God, like, oh, it's so crazy. And, and I was like, I just looked at myself. I'm like, that is not true. And that's never going to be you. You have to figure out how to do it yourself. But what if I wasn't so, what if I didn't have so much self-esteem and was, what if I wasn't so self-aware and I would have built my career on being and acting like something I totally wasn't mm-hmm. as opposed to if there was some, if there was really representation where I saw somebody who, who I can really relate to and feel comfortable with making me be who I am, my, it would have been different. It'll be. And so now I get, now there's people who look like me and talk like me and sound like me. And f- that's from where I'm from who see me now and be like, Oh shit, I can really do that. Look, he's, he's doing it. He's done it. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. now I've become, I've become kind of like a bar for people to be authentically who they are. Like if you have a Southern accent, speak in your Southern accent. If you have your, if you have a, a, a regional dialect, like I do coming from Chicago, then be comfortable speaking in your regional dialect, you know, or your native or whatever it is, you know? And it was just like representation really, really, really does matter. Yeah, I agree. And that's why I'm so happy that you exist. It was so hard to find any stylist of colour. And I'm thrilled to be with someone who takes being a role model, not only to their own employees, but to all kids out there so seriously. Um, You told me 
that the last couple of months with all this conversation around race and racism and police brutality has changed you, Mm -hmm. has permanently changed you and shifted something further in you. Can you tell me what that is? Um, yeah, I just think that, that I am not, I'm just not the same person that I was in February. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not the same person I was um, when we were shooting Legendary. I am, I am like, I'm grossly affected by um, what's happening in, in the culture. I'm scarred and traumatized from watching George Floyd being murdered over and over and over and over and over and over again. It's just like every time it came up on on my Instagram feed, I watched it and I couldn't I couldn't watch it. And it was almost like every time I watched as if there would be a, a alternate ending, as if I as if the next time I watched it, that he wouldn't he wouldn't have died, you know, then, and then if I watched it again, he they wouldn't have put you know, the officer wouldn't put his knee on his neck. And if I watched it again, you know, he wouldn't have got arrested. And if I watched it again, he would have walked out of the store and, and went home to his family. So it's just like these things that, that the anxiety of that uh, and, and the trauma of watching that. And then the trauma of an anxiety of knowing that that could be me, you know what I mean? Like mm. no matter what my accomplishments are, no matter who knows my name or no matter what, who won my clients or what award show or what red carpet is like every time I leave my house, that could be me. And that's not, that's not a fantasy. That's not, you know, uh, me being pessimistic about things. That is really my world. Yeah. That is really my truth. Like I can literally go for a run down, well, I don't run, but I can go for a brisk walk down the street. <laughs> Another reason and I love you. That could, <laughs> and that could be me. I can be walking with my mask and take it off for a second just to catch my breath. And and a police officer could say something about me not having a mask on. And then that could be me. And and, and, and my whole life, I've I known that could be me. You know, and it's like you 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 grow so much and you, you accomplish so many things so that you can kind of, forget that part of your life or your upbringing, but, yeah. but it comes right back. And it's just like, I'm so, I've been struggling s- so much with just ha- being happy uh, or feeling whole or complete. And um, like I told you, we, when we spoke on in our pre-interview, I said, you know, it's just like, I, I have to be able to say that I'm not okay. And I think I'm the strong friend Mm-hmm. And um and and it's 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 sad because and it, because I'm a strong friend. So when I tell somebody I'm not okay, it's like I don't get the same I don't get the same treatment as if someone tells it to me. It's kind of like people automatically assume that I'll be okay because I'm the strong friend. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I'm the I'm usually the emotional support for everybody else, and it's like. And also it's there's the further like, there's the further kind of trope of the black man and how we just consider the black man to not be able to feel any pain. I mean yeah, that just resonates across women the world. As well. Yeah. And black women, when black women are, you know, you know, this is sixes women, black women are giving birth and it's like and they tell the doctors like this doesn't feel I'm in, you know, and, and nobody believes it. and I feel like that's what I've been 
suffering where it's like, I don't know, I don't know how to help myself. And then I don't know how, um, I don't, I can't seem to receive that same type of nurture that, that I give out. So I've been struggling with that too. Well, I mean, let's be real, Lord. I've been, I've been fucking trying. I've been trying to nurture you. You have. I I sent you you cakes. I've been calling. (laughs) I've been texting. I have, I've been, I've been fucking trying. (laughs) This is true. This is true. This is true. This is true. You are so difficult. No innuendo (laughs) to penetrate. Um, (laughs) You know what? Let me tell you where that comes from. Let me tell you what that comes from because I grew up on the streets, right? Yeah. I grew up on the streets. So I grew up in, if, if you let somebody love you too much, then you become vulnerable and then you become needing of that love, right? Mm-hmm. You just, you become, if somebody give you love, then you like, you need it and you and want you have it something and it feels to lose. good. And, and, and you have something to lose. So if you don't have that, you know, for me to pick up and leave and, and move somewhere else and never see those people again, um, because a, a lot of my youth, I, I survived on the kindness of other people. So it'd be like, you know, you'll be at the, with this family for a minute, then this family for a minute. And if you never, if you never become attached to them, then the disattachment doesn't hurt so bad. Mm-hmm. So, so love has not, like, I've never been in a relationship. I've never truly dated anyone in my entire adult life. Which is um, crazy because you're so funny and hot and cool and stylish. Thank you. So yeah, it's a, you know, I'm, I got a lot of problems. I, I totally get it. And I'm only fucking around. Like I, I know what you're like because I'm quite similar and we both disappear into our shells and have learned how to self-protect because we weren't supported when we were young enough young right we didn't have that sense of support we didn't know that we could find it outside of ourselves and so because I recognize what it is in you that is so horrified by my love (laughs) and so scared of it I get it and that's why I just continue to uh pummel you with it and I also didn't come from a family where I woke up every morning and saw my mom and dad um, a mom and a dad in the house and a happy, you know what I mean? Like the only black love that we ever saw back in the day was the Huxtables, you know? So it's like, <laughs> but that again, that was a fantasy. Like she was a lawyer. She, he was a doctor. You know what I mean? That wasn't my thing. So I just didn't grow up with that. So I didn't, I never saw the importance of it. And, and you know, you, it's all saying like, you don't miss what you never had. So I never had it. So I never missed it. But I, I think, I've grown during the pandemic to understand that, I, that everybody needs that. I agree. And I'm happy to hear that. Talk to me about Legendary. You and I are <laughs> hosts on a show about ballroom. You yes. are our resident, what is, does Sean call you? Our rich bitch. Law <laughs> 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 Roach. Um, talk to me about, first of all, the persona that you kind mm-hmm. of lean into mm-hmm. on the show because those mm-hmm. who've watched it some people I mean most people just love you and they love how shady you can be how blunt you are mm-hmm. you are by a mile the bluntest and hardest judge on the panel um, some people mm-hmm. are offended uh, will you talk yeah. to me about your decision to lean into your authenticity the way that you do or even play yeah. up to a character yeah 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 I'd love that you call it a persona because I think that's exactly what it what it is the thing about it, it is very me. It's just dialed up a little bit. Yeah. You know, I am, I don't hold, I don't hold my words. I don't bite my tongue. No. My opinions are my opinion. And just like my work as a stylist, my opinions are polarizing. Mm-hmm. Just like my choices as a stylist are polarizing. It is, some people really love it. Some people really hate it. 
But what happens is they meet in the middle and they talk about it. And I think that's what it is. Um, like, it's memorable. It's talk about it. And it's like, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to say what I want to say, you know, because I am who I am, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I said what I said. So, <laughs> but people, but me also being um, adjacent, ballroom adjacent for so many years. What does years, that mean? That means I'm very close to but not actually in the ballroom scene. Yeah. I want to talk about that because coming up, was it in Chicago that you started going to ballroom events? Yeah. We started going to ballroom very young and we used to actually travel. I have a friend named Ayana Balenciaga who's a a ballroom um, icon and has been walking balls and throwing balls for 25 years. And she was one of one of my best friends. And so she exposed me to that at a really young age. And we used to go to DC and we used to go to Atlanta and New York and, and go to the balls. And um so I know, I know what the ballroom the ballroom culture is cutthroat, it's shady. Yeah, I was um, gonna say that people who are watching the show maybe haven't ever been to a ball. They don't realize right. that they are harsh as fuck. I've been to balls where I've watched Leomi as a judge, where she will she won't even verbally shade someone. She will turn her chair around in the middle of their performance and just look the other way and start analyzing her nails. Like they are yes. they don't give a fuck. You have to be the best and it's a community that have come up through such relentless hardship and it's like if you want to survive you have to prove why you're the best like there's no molly coddling and i feel like that's also potentially impacted the way that you work the way that you treat people but also i want to know do you do you feel as though you have been influenced when it comes to style and your love of the femme form etc from ballroom because i know so much of fashion has been has been influenced and sometimes stolen from ballroom do you feel like yeah. that your inspirations have come from there at all? I think I think that I think what inspired me for for ballroom is that it was always something so fantastical about mm-hmm. it. It was it was always something like ballroom would borrow something from mainstream culture and just take it and and create this whole fantasy around it. And I've always was really attracted to the labels category, uh, which is you know they come in designer labels, heads and toe. And now and at that time when I first started going, um, and ballroom is actually part of the reason why I started writing bad checks and <laughs> and shoplifting. Because and that was part of the culture. You know, you did whatever you had to do to get these clothes to go to these balls. And although I didn't compete, I was still want to be dressed, you know, and 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 for a period, it was like it had to be Versace. It was all Versace. You know what I mean? And so we did whatever we had to do to get those clothes. Um, but I, I was inspired by, um, it was a boy named Thaddeus Allure that was from Chicago. And I will never forget, he was walking in labels category. And he was this tall, skinny, uh, really beautiful boy. And he came out in a Gucci thong and some Dolce Gabbana heels, I think it was. And he had a Gucci umbrella. And that is how he walked the category. And for me, I was just like blown away because one thing, it was celebrating two things that that was really important to me, me being able and be comfortable enough to be feminine and also my love for designer clothes. Mm -hmm. So it was just like so many things that I love that you went to those balls and it was magnified and it was glorized and it was 
you know, the, the more feminine you are, the more people loved you. Um, so, so those things did play a, a huge part in, in me becoming a stylist and, and my development of my own personal style. Also, I, you know, it's a place where you find community, as you were saying, like you feel accepted for who you are and mm-hmm. you find your chosen family. I think that's one of my favorite mm-hmm. things about the entire ballroom community is the fact that mm-hmm. a lot of those people weren't accepted because of their sexuality mm-hmm. or because they grew up in a neighborhood that maybe wasn't conducive to how they live their life or they're trans or they're just black or Latinx, etc. Mm-hmm. And ballroom has created a safe space for those people for radical self-acceptance. So it's it's amazing to see you kind of come full circle where from stealing yeah. to be at the balls, now you are the ball. <laughs> you also take up all of the fun words on the show. So I think we're only allowed to say pussy twice uh, per episode and immediately Law will just take up all the pussies so that we can't we can't <laughs> say it. He'll take all of the C words up, all the F-bombs, <laughs> you take all yeah. the fun language. Um, but I've loved watching the success of this show. I think it's such an oh. important show. It's so important to put this community on the map. While you were talking, I was getting so angry, not with you, um, at the idea Whoa. that you have these kids who are stealing or begging or borrowing for the fashion that they love so much and then to take it from there to realizing that the I mean the way the ballroom community celebrates the sartorial and the aesthetic and to know that that's the exact industry that they are most shut out from the fashion industry the beauty industry for them not to have seen themselves represented until now and for them to not have a chance to work within the industry that they love and they bring so much vigor and inspiration to is something that really needs to change. I would love to see the houses um, who who that these kids have adopted the names kind of reach back and and nurture them and do something for them and support them and, you know, give them money and give them opportunities and put them in campaigns because the ballroom has kept some of those houses, uh, you know, alive in a way mm-hmm. and relevant. And, and, you know, and I think that it would be so great for them to give back. And make them their children. Make it feel like them children. You know what I mean? Make these kids your children. Maybe that's something that we can work on together. Let's do it. So what's next for Law Roach? You've already, you've styled everyone from Zendaya to Celine to Kim Kardashian to Kim Kardashian's best friend, me. Um, You have, uh, (laughs) you have uh, a judging slot on a huge show that has 90% Rotten Tomatoes and is coming back for a second season. Congratulations. Congratulations to you. You are doing what next? Are you going to become a designer yourself? Are you going to open stores? What is the plan for you? Like, to be honest with you, my career, like when I went, okay, when I said I want to be a stylist, I wanted to do this. I've done everything that I've ever wanted to do as a stylist. Uh, last year, I had to start l- dreaming new dreams because I had lived them all. So right now, my career is is mainly to show other people who look like me that they can do it and to be able to use my my name as bargaining tools. Like I want people to go into a brand with their clients and like, I want to style this campaign. And they're like, oh, well, we don't do that. We just use our in-house people. I want them to be able to say, that's not true because law did it. You know what I mean? I want, I want my career to be kind of a benchmark and a crowbar, if you will, to open doors that that people are trying to keep shut. Any, any accomplishment, if I'm the first to do anything, I am not trying to be the first so that I can be the last. I want to give my career and all my accomplishments from this day on 
to benefit and better my community. That's amazing. And also thank you for exposing all of your clients to young black and brown and people of color, all kinds of designers who are young and up and coming and who don't normally get the breaks in the big magazines that have predominantly white editors. Thank you for uh, showing me so much art from around the world. I've never, ever worn anything like I've been able to with you. And I've been able to make friendships with some of these designers. And it feels like you are helping us really democratize and diversify the fashion industry. And I love how secretly, although not so secretly anymore, but how political your agenda is, how socially political your agenda is. And I really appreciate that it's not just a surface level thing. It isn't about uh, just the exterior. It's tr- you are truly authentic to the bone. And I think that's what you're trying to encourage in the whole world. And so for that, I really, I really respect you. And I'm still a little bit Thank afraid you. of you, but generally I love you. <laughs> <laughs> I love you too. Thank you so much. It's, um, Thank you. Before you go, uh, Law, sure. will you tell me, what do you weigh? I weigh that my whole is greater than the sum of my parts. Meaning not your asshole. <laughs> my whole, my whole entire being okay. um, <laughs> is greater. Sorry. It's greater than every every little piece of me. It's like when I pull everything I am from every different place and put it all together, that is what I weigh. I love that. I'm sorry I ruined it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I can't wait to see you. It's been so many months. I know. But uh, at least three of your stylies are going to the Emmys because we all got nominations. Humble brags. Yeah. Yeah. Kerry Washington, I another know. person you style, one of the most beautiful women yes. of all time. Uh, Zendaya's going to be there. She got nominated for Euphoria. It's so exciting. Yes. I get to go there from a good place, but we don't need to talk about that. Um <laughs> So, yeah, I will see you soon and we can get styled for yeah. Zoom or however the fuck they're going to do the Emmys oh. <laughs> this year. I love you lots. All right. And thanks love for you coming. Too. Bye. Ciao. Thank you so much for listening to this week's I Weigh. I would also like to thank the team which helps me make this podcast. My producers, Sophia Jennings and Kimmy Lucas, my editor, Andrew Carson, my boyfriend, James Blake, who made the beautiful music you are hearing now, and me for my work at I Weigh we would love to hear from you and share what you weigh at the end of this podcast you can leave us a voicemail at 1-818-660-5543 or email us what you weigh at iweighpodcast at gmail.com and remember it's not in pounds and kilos it's your social contributions to society or just how you define yourself in life here is a little message from one of our I Weigh listeners I Weigh getting out of a deep Take depression and enjoying life and everyone in it. All right. Thank you. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway. 
and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.